invite you to uh, take your copy of God's Word and turn with me once again to Luke chapter 13. Uh, The Gospel according to Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 21. Jesus, in these few verses, tells two short parables about the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God is like. Uh, The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of Christ is uh, it's a major theme in the Gospels. Uh, different ways of speaking about the same thing. The kingdom of God refers to God's reign, particularly in the lives of men and women and boys and girls. So it's, it's not referring to a geographical place, uh, a place with boundaries, you know, a castle with a drawbridge and a moat and alligators down below. If I had my own castle, I would definitely have alligators in my moat. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about here as we're thinking about the kingdom of God. We are thinking about the, the dynamic and redemptive reign of God in the lives of people. And uh, we need to understand at the outset here that Jesus is the king of the kingdom. He is the one who reigns. Uh, his gospel brings the kingdom And his kingdom creates the people of God. Is the the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The the place in this fallen world where the redemptive reign of God is most evidently seen. Well, before we uh, read our passage, let's, let's pause and ask for the Lord's help as we begin. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of your word and We ask now that uh, your spirit would come and work so that we receive and believe all that you would say to us. We pray that if there are any strangers to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ here today, that uh, today, Lord, you would bring them into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and make them sharers of the grace of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Luke 13, beginning in verse 18. Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. A man named uh, Joseph Leek died in 2003. He died at the age of 90. And in the view of his friends and family, Mr. Leek died a very poor man. Uh, He uh, made a practice of wearing second-hand clothing. He shopped at thrift stores all of his life. Um, He, uh, instead of paying for cable television himself, he would go to his neighbor's house to watch TV because he didn't want to have a cable bill. He lived a frugal life, and in the eyes of everyone who knew him, he died a very poor man. 
But the surprising thing is that when he died, he left behind a fortune of nearly $2 million. All of it was money he had carefully saved over the course of, of his long and, and frugal life. And nobody knew about it, not his, not his friends, not his co-workers, not even his family. And one of the things we say in light of such a story is appearances can be deceiving. And we all know that's true. Uh, we, we know it experientially, don't we? Most of us have likely passed uh, judgment on someone or something on the basis of what we could see, only later to find out that we were deeply wrong uh, about the judgment that we made. And Jesus doesn't want us to make that same mistake about the kingdom of God. Uh, in this passage, Jesus is telling people about the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God is like, and what the kingdom of God will be like. Uh, he, is, he is the king of the kingdom who has come to establish God's kingdom in the midst of this, this fallen and broken world. And Jesus uses uh, parables um, earthy illustrations. Um, he he spree, speaks in proverbial language to communicate to the people something about what the kingdom of God is like. So let's look at these verses together. There are, there are two parables, and I want us to see three lessons. Two lessons from the first parable, one lesson from the second parable. So two parables, three lessons. The first lesson is this, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, it appears insignificant, but proves to pack much in little. Uh, after, after healing that bent over woman on the Sabbath, Jesus begins to teach about the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God is like, like maybe seems like a strange uh, transition to make, but I think here are these opponents of the Lord Jesus, and 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 they're saying to the people, "Look, this this Jesus, he's just another, he's just another false teacher. He's just another passing fad. He's just another traveling preacher. Just forget about him. He's insignificant. He's unimportant." And so Jesus, in that context, I think, begins to teach about the kingdom of God. He says, what is the kingdom of God like? It is like a mustard seed that a man took and planted in his garden. Now, the, the, the mustard seed was proverbial in Jesus' day for something that was, that was tiny, uh, that was insignificant, almost unnoticeable. Jesus adopted that proverbial language in another place when he's speaking about faith, that faith is the size of a grain of mustard seed, something tiny, something insignificant. And now Jesus is making use of this figure of speech uh, for something tiny and easily passed over the mustard seed as he talks about what the kingdom of God is like. You know, when you think about it, how, how appropriate that is. Now, Jesus had 12 disciples. One of them betrayed him. One of them denied him, and the other 10 abandoned him. As Jesus was born uh, out of wedlock in a backwater town, he came from 
Nazareth, which in that day was proverbially said, what good thing can ever come from there? He had no position or credentials that gave him place or prominence in society. His own family at times thought he was out of his mind. And then he was and then he was taken, he was mocked, he was humiliated, he was spat on, he was beaten, and then crucified alongside of criminals. And you hear all that and you think, this, this, is, this is the beginning of the kingdom of God? You wouldn't be surprised for some people to respond, how utterly pathetic, how insignificant it's so easy to overlook how backwards this is, that this, this would be the beginning of the kingdom of God. Through this despised and rejected man, this battered and bleeding man dying on the cross, this is the king of God's kingdom. But you see, the, the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed, and appearances can be deceiving. I mean, who, who looking at Jesus and this you know, ragtag group of disciples concluded, wow, this is, this is, uh, this is amazing. God's kingdom has surely come and, and God's king has surely arrived to set all things right because it all looked so unimpressive, so visually pathetic. But... I think one of the things Jesus is telling us, as he says in the Gospel of John in another context, do not judge by appearances. Judge rightly. And we need to understand that this principle still applies as we think about what the kingdom of God is like. Yes, in a minute we're going to talk about how the kingdom of God has advanced and, and grown, but what Jesus is saying here still applies to the kingdom today. This is what the kingdom of God is like in the world. It's like a tiny mustard seed. You know, who, who coming and, and looking at Trinity Presbyterian Church from a purely human perspective and natural point of view is going to be inclined to say, wow, God is in their midst. This is, this is the kingdom of, this is an outpost of the kingdom of God here on earth. No, people are going to say, how unimportant, what a waste of time that is. That's what people would think because they make judgments based upon appearances alone. But do not judge by appearances, Jesus tells us. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, easily overlooked, often dismissed, that's the nature of God's kingdom here in a fallen world because God chose what is low and despised in the world and the things that are not in order to bring to nothing the things that are, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. We see that preeminently in the king of the kingdom himself, don't we? That God took his despised and rejected son and hangs him on the cross and everyone despises him and rejects him and mocks him and this is the seed of the kingdom of God on earth. And then God, through history, what has he done? He has taken the, the stammering lips and the faltering prayers and the feeble service 
of the followers of Christ and through it the kingdom of God has advanced. You see, yes, appearances can be deceiving, but we are not to judge the kingdom by appearances. So, so dear brothers and sisters, don't, don't make this mistake. Do not be deceived by how things appear. Actually, the church, the church is weak. It's not just an appearance. The church is weak because it's made up of men and women and boys and girls who in and of themselves are weak. Who of us is unaware of the ways in which we daily fail our our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ? Who of us is not aware of the ways in which each and every day we, we prove unfaithful in our obedience and our love and our service to Jesus And yet God in Christ has set his name upon us. And he's called us into union and and communion with Christ. He's bound us to himself. He's he's made us citizens of an everlasting kingdom. And, and, And not only that, not just citizens of his kingdom, but but sons, heirs of that kingdom. And and so as, as, we, uh, as we gather together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, what does John say? We are, we are those as we persevere who conquer by the blood of the Lamb. That is what God sees when he looks upon a gathered community of disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees past the mere appearance of things to the reality of things. And so what is the kingdom of God like? It's like a a mustard seed. It looks insignificant because the kingdom of God is patterned after its king. And Jesus looked utterly insignificant when he was nailed to the cross alongside of other criminals. And, And meanwhile, what was God doing? God was establishing his kingdom. God was crushing the head of the serpent God was making atonement for the sins of his people. God was reconciling sinners to himself. God was overcoming sin and death and Satan and hell itself through the apparent weakness of the cross. That's the first lesson then. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It appears insignificant and weak. As we look at this same parable though, I want us to think about a second lesson. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, but now it grows to provide rest and refuge for the nations. This, the, the seed, it's, it's sown into the ground by this man, this tiny little seed in his garden patch, and, and it grew beyond uh, all expectations to, to, to become a sizable tree with outreaching branches which the birds actually come to nest in. What, what is being highlighted here by Jesus, I think, is the universal wide world growth of the kingdom. Uh, Jesus' mention of the birds of the air and nesting, uh, I think, is a picture of Gentile nations. Because this, uh, this statement of the Lord Jesus doesn't come out of nowhere. It's actually rooted in the Old Testament and something Ezekiel says in Ezekiel chapter 17 when when God says he's going to plant his people like a tree 
and the nations would find refuge and rest within it. And so in verse 23 of chapter 17, he says, In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. So Jesus is predicting, I think, the the universal growth of the kingdom of God in this world. From such small, insignificant beginnings, the kingdom rule of Jesus will extend to the the nations, to the peoples of this world. (coughs) And so, (coughs) excuse me, in the parable of the, the mustard seed, Jesus talks about the global reach of the gospel. The, the kingdom of God will be a tree for, uh, for, the, for the refuge and rest of the nations. Its, its, its branches will stretch out and the peoples will come and find rest, rest and refuge there. I think Jesus' hearers who knew their Old Testament surely would have thought back to the Old Testament and likely to the book of Daniel. Actually, there's a part in Daniel that alludes to uh, a large tree and, and people coming to find rest in the branches. But that's not the point, part of Daniel I want to I, I highlight right now. I'm thinking of Daniel chapter 2 and Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of this, this great statue made up of different composite parts. Then, then comes this, this little stone that's hewn out of the mountain, not by human hands. And this, this little stone smashes all of the various parts of the statue. And, and Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know what it means. And Daniel comes to the rescue. And uh, in the climax of Daniel's interpretation, he says, In the days of those kings that were represented in the statue, the different co- composite parts, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all of these other kingdoms and it shall stand forever. In other words, Daniel, the Old Testament, is telling us not only about the global reach of the kingdom that we are thinking about this morning, but also the endurance of this kingdom. That this is a kingdom that will never end. If I can, if I can put it this way, the, the kingdom of God will stand at the grave of every kingdom and every republic and every nation of this world. And see, this, it's, it's, not, it's really, at the end of the day, it's really not all about the kingdom, this passage. It's about the king of the kingdom who's really the focus of this parable because it's King Jesus who gives power and potential and the ultimate triumph of the kingdom of God. But you think about, <coughs> think about what an encouragement this must have been to, to Luke's readers and the encouragement it should be to us today. Here, here are people living in the Roman Empire You've got to imagine this, this small group of Christians gathered somewhere in someone's home. And they live in this Roman Empire that looms large, and Caesar is everything. Caesar is Lord, the Roman Empire declares. And here they are. Maybe they're one of these little households who's fortunate enough to possess a manuscript of the Gospel of Luke. 
And here they are living in this great Roman Empire, and they're reading this short parable about a little mustard seed, and it's going to grow and grow, and the birds of the air are going to come and find shelter in its branches. And that sends their minds back to the book of Daniel. And, oh, didn't, didn't Daniel also record a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had about this, this kingdom that is going to outlast and overcome all of the kingdoms of this world? Those things related? Yes, it's talking about the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and think about it from our vantage point today, dear friends. Where is the Roman Empire today? Where, where is the Babylonian Empire? Where, where is the Assyrian Empire? Where are the, the, uh, the Egyptian dynasties of old? They are all nothing more than footnotes to history as the kingdom of God continues to advance. The greatest kingdoms of the world are buried in the dust of history. But the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ endures. And so the one question I want to ask you before we go to our third lesson for this morning is in light of this, have you, have you found rest and refuge in the branches of this kingdom? Have you, uh, have you bowed the knee with gladness to this king and owned him as your Savior and Lord? Because what we are being reminded of this morning is that it is only those who belong to this kingdom who have a hope-filled future. We go to the, the, the second parable here, um, and, and the third lesson that I want us to see from this passage is, well, the kingdom of God is like leaven. It has permeating and powerful effects. Uh, Jesus speaks this other short parable in verses 20 and 21. Take a look at it with me. Again, he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. And the leaven here is actually some of the batch of fermented dough from a previous batch that has been kept and preserved and is now being mixed in with a new batch of dough for the next uh, baking session or whatever, thus enabling it to grow. So, so this new dough did not possess in and of itself what it needed to grow. And the agent of change is added, enabling this new batch of dough to grow. And that also the, the amount of flour is at least worth noticing because this isn't, this isn't enough bread here to, to feed a single individual or even an entire family. We're talking about enough bread to feed an entire banqueting hall. A large amount of bread produced by just a tiny bit of leaven. And I think here is the basic point Jesus is making. A little bit of leaven goes a long way. And this leaven has a permeating and powerful effect. And so Jesus, I think, is emphasizing the permeating and powerful effects of the kingdom of God in the midst of a fallen world. Imagine, again, how the disciples must have felt as they spent time with Jesus. Here are these 12 very, very ordinary men. Uh, many of them without any kind of formal training. Most of them, you know, fishermen, tax collector. 
And uh, by the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he's looking at them and saying, uh, I want you to take the message of this kingdom to the nations of the world, and I want you to make disciples of the nations. It sounds like mission impossible, doesn't it? The task is simply overwhelming. And I think this parable ought to have given them, and it ought to give us a great deal of hope. Because it's telling us, don't minimize what King Jesus can do with a little bit. Don't minimize what he can do with just a few faithful followers and servants. The ministry of the disciples was in in many ways too small and insignificant to really be noticed by anyone. But but as surely as a tiny bit of leaven can influence an entire batch of dough, so the kingdom of God will have an impact on the entire world. When you think about the the original disciples, the fact is the, the world actually has been the world, peoples of the earth, have been blessed through the faithful service of those few men. What began with 12 and then several hundred and then several thousand in Jerusalem and then expanded into Judea and then Samaria and then to the ends of the Roman Empire began with just a few disciples. Twelve. And friends, here we are now in Johnstown, Greater Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and, and what are we? I don't know, 90, 200 people today? And there are 70,000 plus people who live in the greater Johnstown area. Is it too much of a thing for God to use 100 people to reach 70,000 plus people for the Lord Jesus Christ? I think if we, when we hear that, we think immediately, that sound, that's impossible. It's, it's, a, it's a task we couldn't possibly fulfill I think this this text is challenging us to ask the question, do you doubt that God can use 100 to reach 70,000? Do you doubt that God can use this little outpost of the kingdom of God to reach thousands upon thousands of people, not just here in Johnstown, but yes, indeed, to the ends of the earth? Because if God can use 12 men to reach the Roman Empire... Imagine how he can bless the faithful service of a hundred. And so we must, we must not minimize God's ability to accomplish much with little. We must not minimize how God can use the <clears throat> faithfulness of his people. And <clears throat> the challenge for us, though, is that the faithfulness of God's people is not Proved in, you know, great shows of power and pyrotechnics. The faithfulness of God's people is proved in the daily grind of life. Yeah, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Let your light shine before others that when they see your good works, it will be caused to glorify your Father in heaven. So, Friends, my question for you today is, is this, how will you tomorrow live as a citizen of the kingdom of God? Will you, will you aim to glorify God in the daily grind of life? And will you commit to a life of 
mundane holiness. Because we must not minimize the large impact of small displays of faithfulness over time. What God has, what, what, is, what has God called us to in his kingdom? Just think about that with me for a moment. Not to, not to produce the fruit, but to be faithful. Um, to spread wide the word of the gospel, to, to make known the name of Jesus Christ, to pray heaven down, to pray earnestly for the work of the Spirit, to make effectual the word of the gospel, to, to train uh, elders and deacons and lay leaders, to equip the saints for service, to, to care for the oppressed and widows and orphans, to alleviate suffering where we can, to demand righteousness of the nations, to maintain integrity in our workplaces. In every sphere of life, we are to pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And we are to seek to be blameless and above reproach because in every sphere and domain of life, we are seeking to exalt the glory and the grace of Jesus Christ. And so brothers and sisters, my challenge to you and, and myself today is this. Do not minimize God's ability to accomplish much with a little. And, and do not minimize the impact of faithfulness in the small things. How will you, how will you glorify God tomorrow as a, as a member of Trinity Presbyterian Church? As a member of your family? As a member of your company? How will you serve Jesus Christ at church and at work and at home as a citizen of his kingdom because it is through the insignificant and small displays of faithfulness that the kingdom of God is advanced God can work with a little to accomplish much there's so many ways we can think about the implications of this parable and what I want to do very briefly with you is remember what or think about what this would mean for the, the ministry and outreach of our church. Maybe at times you've, you've been discouraged. You, you've wondered, are, are we really having an impact? Are we really reaching anyone for, for Christ? And we can get discouraged by what seems to be slow, slow progress, if there's any progress at all. Well, whenever we're feeling discouraged, we, we need to remember how the kingdom of God grows and what the kingdom of God is like. It grew, first of all, from a small and seemingly insignificant beginning. And Christian ministry and service today will often reflect that. It will often appear utterly insignificant and small, but a little yeast in dough can have a powerful impact by the life-giving power of God in the gospel. And what this means for us is, as, as servants in the kingdom, as, as those who, who want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in whatever way we can faithfully, the kingdom advances when the people of the kingdom tell the next generation about the king and tell the nations about this king. So what, very simply, what will that look like among us? What will faithfulness look like among us. It will look like faithfully proclaiming the whole counsel of God in full reliance upon 
the Spirit. Parents, it will mean eagerly teaching your children and telling them about what it means to follow Jesus Christ in this world. Men, it will mean taking other men and seeking to disciple them and and talk with them about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Women, it will mean taking younger women under your wings and and discipling them too. In the church and in the home, it will look like discipleship. But we must not only reach out to our own, because this message of the kingdom is for all peoples of the earth, the nations, and we must not be hoarders of the kingdom. We are called to be heralds of the kingdom. And so we herald the good news. We We invite friends and family and neighbors and co-workers to come and hear the good news of Jesus Christ here, yes, but we go forth with the word of the gospel upon our lips. And let's remember, friends, that our mission, our mission is not to build the kingdom. Our mission is not to transform the culture. Our mission is to faithfully and lovingly introduce people to the king who builds his kingdom and transforms people's lives. We aren't concerned about size, or at least I hope we're not concerned about size, because at the end of the day, size doesn't matter to God. We are are concerned about serving the king faithfully. Jesus establishes his kingdom. Jesus extends his kingdom. And Jesus is pleased To use the seemingly insignificant things of this world and the weak efforts of his people. Because he is able to do much with little. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for your word and we pray for the progress of your kingdom in our own midst and in our own church. We pray that a little leaven would indeed leaven the whole lump in a good sense. That you would reign over our minds and our hearts and our lives and our church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.